Oh, what a what an amazing time of worship! I love that. I was thinking that you can't sing that song without thinking about Hebrews thirteen, where it just says, uh, "Be content with whatever you have, because He Himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you.'" Man, isn't it? Isn't it? It's it's a statement of truth, but it's also a prayer that God would be all that we need. This morning we're going to be talking about shepherding and how faithful shepherding is essential. And uh, this is the cool thing. It's essential. We definitely need it. But I put in parentheses that it's guaranteed. And the reason that faithful shepherding is guaranteed is because Jesus actually says, God himself says, I will always shepherd my people. And God's pr- God has provided shepherds on a human level to do that. But when the humans in our life don't provide the leadership they should, when they're not the shepherds that they should be, one of the things that we find out from Scripture is that God steps in and takes over. And that's one of the things I love. I love thinking about, you know, the the areas in my life where God's made me responsible for those things. And I want to be faithful, but it is such an encouragement to me that where I fall short, God will step in and meet those needs. So this morning, we're going to be looking at faithful shepherding. And, um, you know, I want to just, we've been going through this passage. um, We've been reading this every single time in our series on leadership. And it's something for us to always be mindful of and remember. Acts 20.28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Leadership is significant, and we need to know what God says about leaders, and we need to know that, especially when we're a part of selecting leaders, when we nominate and when we vote for and when we participate in placing people in leadership positions, we need to know what God says about that. But the other thing that is so critical in this and and a reason, this is personally uh, critical, not just for who you pick, but for who you are. Because every single one of us is a leader. Every single one of us has been given a circle of influence, and God intends us to behave and to be and to do the things that he has called every leader to do. There is nothing God calls any leader to do that he does not call every single person to do. We do that to different degrees. We do it in different areas. And one of the worldview problems, one of the huge problems in the church is that people read so much of what God says in Scripture and they think that it applies to someone else when in reality it applies to them. Leaders are examples Jesus says in Luke 6.40, when a person is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. That's pretty significant. But it's not saying everything written in the Bible is for the teacher. No, it's for you. But we need to pick the right leaders um, as, as a church family. When we're, to, when we're picking leaders for this church family, we need to pick the right people. And when we're looking around and deciding who are we going to give a voice in our life? Who are we going to allow to influence us? When we need advice, who are we going to ask? Because these are things we need to understand because so many people are destroyed because they lack leadership in their life or they pick the wrong people to speak into their life. And so that's one of the things that I love is that God gives us clear instructions. It is not confusing. These things are not that hard to figure out if we'll pay attention to what God says and if we'll actually put those things in practice. Never ceases to amaze me. You can read a list of biblical qualifications and say, okay, these are the qualifications for leaders. These are the kinds of people that we should listen to and follow. And then everybody says, amen. Amen to that, brother. That's right. That's a great list. And then you'll say, okay, um, who do you want to pick as a leader? And then they pick people that nothing on that list is in, is, describes that person. People will, will say, oh, my goodness, this person is such a mature believer. 
But then they say this, and they say this, and they say this, and it just doesn't compute. I don't understand. Why would a mature person, a spiritually faithful person, say something like this? And I just think, (laughs) because they're not a spiritually faithful person. We sometimes measure spiritual faithfulness and spiritual maturity by the wrong things. Time in ministry, prominence, uh, people who have been put in leadership positions in other places, and we ignore what God says, and we pick people uh, based on the wrong things. Even more important, we follow the example of people that we should be avoiding. So as we look at this, I want to just encourage you that if you're sitting here, everything that we have said so far about in leadership, it applies to you. Yes, as you think about the leaders you're going to pick, but more important, as you think about yourself. See, everybody is a shepherd, and faithful shepherding is essential, and that's everybody. Um, If you're Uh, You may have different levels or extent of responsibility, but you are a shepherd. So if you're an elder, pastor and elder, well, one of the places you shepherd is in the church. If you're a ministry leader, see, some people think that Jonathan's job is to pick songs and play music and schedule people to show up here. I mean, that's part of what he does. That, That is something he needs to do, but that is actually not his most significant role. His most significant role is to faithfully shepherd the people in his ministry. That's actually the main thing he does. The second thing he does is pick songs, sing, schedule people to show up here. There are so many people who when they think about ministry, they actually miss the heart of what it is. Uh, Bible study leaders, life group leaders, those are shepherds. Sunday school teachers, You show up and walk into a Sunday school class and you're teaching these kids, you are a shepherd. Now, obviously, your shepherding responsibility in those little kids' lives is very small compared to the shepherding responsibility that God gives their parents. But you still have a significant responsibility to shepherd those kids. If you are married, it is your responsibility to shepherd your wife. If you have kids, it is your responsibility to shepherd your kids. If you have any Christian friends, it is your responsibility to be an encouragement and a shepherd in the lives of the Christian friends that God has given you. See, one of the huge blessings of going to church every week is that you know other Christians. And as you live life around them, they will speak into your life. They'll encourage you. They'll help you. They'll guide you. Uh, People think that when they show up to church and they think that the sermon's boring, they don't need to come. You need to be here. And you need to be here not just from what, from, because of what happens on the stage. You need to be here because you need to be talking to and you need other people to be talking to you. It is your job to shepherd and to be shepherded. And yet you have people who think showing up on Sunday morning is, well, if I feel like it, I'll do that, or it's optional. I'll go once a month or twice a month. And they don't realize, no, um, Sunday morning church is an absolute necessity for every Christian. People who show up half the time, uh, sometimes we travel. We have, this is why we're not legalistic about things, is sometimes people have a good reason to show up half the time. Um, because they go to church here and they go to church somewhere else. They show up here one Sunday and the next week they show up and they're going to church with their kids somewhere else. And so, so sometimes God has, there are reasons, healthy reasons, why people aren't here every week. But if you stay home to watch football or you stay home because you, you just stayed up too late on Saturday night, I know I'm stepping on some toes back there with the, with the football comment. Um, but you, you, uh, you don't show up to church on Sunday because maybe you're married to somebody who doesn't prioritize church. And they schedule, you know, going jet skiing on Sunday morning. Or they do other kinds of things on Sunday morning. And we think it's okay to kind of be here half the time. People who show up half the time don't actually know how to think properly about the body of Christ in church. And one of the reasons that we show up is because we are shepherded and we need to shepherd. 
That's a mark of spiritual maturity, one of the most basic marks of spiritual maturity. It always is kind of funny to me that sometimes in places people will take somebody who never goes to church and ask them to lead a ministry. It's like, why? Why would you ask somebody to be in charge of something that doesn't actually generally see that as an important thing in life? So anyway, that's, that was all under if you have Christian friends, you're a shepherd. Um, do you know any unbelievers? If you live in a neighborhood with non-Christians or if you know any non-Christians, God intends that you be a shepherd to those people. So anyway, all the things that we say, all that was just so you know, this is not for someone else. Everything said this morning is for you. And when we think about this passage, this is something we need to, we need to take very seriously. The church of God, he bought, he purchased with his own blood. You are valuable. Jesus loves you. That's why if your earthly shepherds do a cruddy job, Jesus is swooping in to take care of you. Never have to worry about that. You know, but I will say this. Many leaders, they um, forget what an awesome responsibility God's given them, and they are passive about the things God has told them to be serious about. Um, There are people who forget their need for shepherding. Yes, God's called us to be shepherds, but we need shepherding. I need shepherding. Uh, You know, God has not made me the lead pastor of this church because I have it all together, and so I'm here to help you. I'm here, and I need you just as much as you need me. And that's true of every leader. We all need shepherding. And sometimes uh, we, we gravitate away from people who shepherd us properly, we are hostile and difficult and unappreciative of the people who care enough about us to talk to to us about things. Hey, if you're a parent, you understand that, right? You love your kids, you say the hard things to them, and they don't always say thank you. Well, the church is like that too. Sometimes we forget how much we need shepherding, but the amazing thing and the best thing is that Jesus is our shepherd. Um, We're going to be actually um, diving into the Old Testament today. Now, we've read through, we're going to do this in a second. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, and we're going to read this really long passage in Acts. And one is instruction on shepherding. The second one is an example, a historical account of shepherding, a testimony of shepherding. And then we're going to the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the book of Ezekiel where God talks to bad shepherds. And we're going to learn. And one of the things, one of the reasons I want to read these New Testament things is you read these New Testament passages and everything God says a shepherd is supposed to be, we go to Ezekiel and we're going to see an example of these shepherds who are nothing that God said they should be. It's like this direct contrast Here's what God says we're supposed to be like. Well, just look back into the Old Testament. There's an example of people who didn't do exactly what God said they should do. And um, we need to remember that when when we read the Old Testament, look what it says here. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. See, sometimes... We hear in the New Testament, leaders are going to give an account. But what does that mean? How do we know what that means that a leader is going to give an account? Well, just read the Old Testament. There's tons of stories of leaders that God helped took to account. And so we just know, oh, okay, well, when Peter says this, this is what that means. Um, God's grace. How do we understand what God's grace is? Well, just look at the Old Testament And you see examples of God's grace. When it talks about the damage and the harm of sin, how how do we know what that looks like? Well, it's easy. Just read the Old Testament. There's tons of examples of people who disregarded what God said. So the Old Testament was given for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we're going to consider this whole idea of shepherding and the significance in each believer's life. So if you have your Bibles... Go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. We're just going to read these passages, but I want you to kind of think, allow these things to 
just go into your mind so that when we're going through Ezekiel, you'll understand, you'll see all these contrasts, you'll know these things. And just pray right now that the Holy Spirit will put this in your mind, that he'll put it in your heart, that he will bring to remembrance the right parts as we go through Ezekiel. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's a reward for faithful shepherds who understand that Jesus is the chief shepherd. We're going to read a story of people who don't get a reward. They get punishment. And so we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. So that's what Peter says. That's how he describes leadership. Those are the instructions that he gives. Let's now read a description of a person who actually lived those things out. This is of the Apostle Paul. So this is Acts chapter 20, verse 16. We're going to read 22 verses right now. And just let these things soak in. When I was in seminary, I was told never read really long passages on Sunday morning. But I just want to tell you, I don't fully agree with that. Because, and, and you know this, but the things I say, well, evaluate that. Think about that. Is that truly from God? But when we read Scripture, that is, that is God's Word. It is active. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. The best words delivered on any Sunday morning ever are never the things that the person up front says. It's when he reads Scripture. So if you get nothing today, like this period of time right here, this is of great value. Let's, uh, let's read Acts chapter 20, verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miltus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So he didn't have time to visit the church, but he is not going to miss an opportunity to speak to those elders. Verse 18, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Um, not for sordid gain. Paul wasn't in this for what he got for it. He served them with humility, with tears, and he suffered in order to do it. Paul was not in this for himself. Verse 20, what did he do? Like, what was the primary thing that he did? How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what did he do? He preached the gospel. What is that? Repent of your sins. You're a sinner. You need to repent. You need to put your faith in Christ and trust his life and work on the cross for your salvation. So that was his message. But it says he didn't fail to declare everything that was profitable, teaching publicly and from house to house. There are so many leaders that think their job is to sit around and shoot the breeze with their friends and talk about what they did yesterday. Yes, we do those things. We build community. But that is not ultimately the purpose of leaders. If you're a parent, you hang out with your kids. You have fun. You go jet skiing. You do whatever it is that you do with your family and your kids. You have fun doing it. But that is not your purpose. Your purpose as a shepherd is to declare what is profitable, things from God's Word. By the way, 
one of the huge failings of shepherds is they're doing all kinds of things, but they don't know God's word, and they're not teaching God's word. Oh, I'm not preaching this passage. Let's, let's read more. Verse 22, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value or as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of grace. Now behold, I know that none of, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Um, these are his last words. And he says, none of you are going to see me again. Verse 26. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. We're going to talk about a watchman in a minute and what kind of watchman is innocent and what kind of watchman is guilty. Uh, so this is, this is like for you. Um, how do you know if you are innocent for what happens around you and the people's lives that you're supposed to be shepherding or if you are guilty? See, uh, we're not responsible for the behavior of other people, but to what level are we responsible? Well, I don't know. Let's see. Why did Paul say he was innocent? Therefore, I testify to you this day, verse 26, that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And this is one of the reasons what he's going to say next, why it's so important for us to think about what a faithful leader is. Because we can have a tendency to take the wrong people and put them in charge. Look what Paul says here. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men to speak twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I'm commending you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And this is interesting. He comes back to personal motives again. Look what he says here. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul, and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Okay, so that's the historical account of the way Paul lived his life. Looking for leaders around. Who's like that? Those are the people we're looking for. Um, when you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, that's the kind of person that we're looking for. People like that. That's supposed to be you. That's supposed to be me. And there's all kinds of application in that regard. So let's jump into Ezekiel. Um, and um, just before we jump into this, I'm going to tell you that good shepherds are watchmen. I want to tell you a little bit about the book of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is this book written by the prophet Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is the same age as Daniel. Remember Daniel? There's, it's Ezekiel, Daniel, and the Bible. They're next to each other. So they both minister at the same period of time, and they're both about the same age. And Israel has been wandering away from God. They've taken these idols. Um, they're people who are like double-minded. They're people who have one foot in the world and one foot, and so they worship God, but they also worship idols. And they have leaders and they're people who say, yeah, God says this, but 
We're going to take these two things God says, but this one here, we're going to ignore that one. That's, that's not important. We're not going to emphasize that. We're not really going to do that. So they're people full of compromise. And in their mind, they think they're worshiping God. Everybody would say, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good, faithful Jew. And so that's, the way they're, they're, that's what they're saying to each other. You ever see that in the church where people, oh, faithful Christian, that person loves the Lord. Uh, do they obey anything God says? No. No, but they're a Christian, and they love God, and they're pursuing God in their life. But they're a person who disregards everything God says. But we just label them as spiritually mature. Instead of going, no, this person either doesn't know the Lord or they are a Christian with serious problems in their life. And we just kind of take a step back. We have no sense of urgency for people who live their life in a way that just sets aside what God says. Well, part of the reason that all happens is because we don't read the Old Testament enough. And as we are reading the Old Testament, we read the story of Ezekiel, God's been sending prophets to Israel, and they've ignored them. They pick the prophets they like that tell them lies, and they ignore the faithful people who tell them the truth. And in the book of Ezekiel, these prophets and these shepherds that are supposed to be caring for Israel are rebuked. And God raises up Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? And he goes in. And he wipes out Israel. So he goes in there and he just takes a whole bunch of captives. First time, that's Daniel. He carries Daniel off. Then he goes back again a second time and he gets more captives. That's Ezekiel. And then he carries Ezekiel off. And then he comes back in 586 and just destroys Israel. That's when Solomon's temple is not just robbed and plundered. It is completely destroyed. And so that's what's happening in this period in Israel's life. And God basically is talking to Ezekiel, and he talks to Ezekiel, and he says, you are a watchman. And this is a great accountability, and it's also something that fills us with peace, what it means to be a watchman. And basically what he's going to tell Ezekiel, let me just read it, Ezekiel 3, 7 through 21. He tells Ezekiel this at the beginning of his ministry. He's going to tell him again um, in chapter 33 later in his ministry, but he just says, Son of man, I made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity but his blood I will require of your hand. So you're living next to, let's just think about this, a watchman. You're living next door to a non-Christian. They live their life. They never hear the gospel. They die. They will be separated from God. And it's going to be their fault for not pursuing the Lord. But God's going to say, I put you next door neighbor to that person, and you never talk to them you bear some responsibility for that. Or God gives you kids, and your kids are growing up. And as they're living a sinful life, sometimes we enable, we help. Hey, Mom, Dad, I'm going to move in with my boyfriend and not get married. That's not a good idea. You shouldn't do that. Mom, Dad, I can't afford rent. It's okay. I'll pay. You're going to finance the sinful life of a kid or of anybody else, we're going to participate and help. Um, We're going to fail to warn kids wandering down a wrong path. I've heard people say, never tell kids not to do stuff. It'll only make them do it more. That is somebody who never read this passage. It doesn't say don't warn people. They won't listen. That is not what it says. Your responsibility is to warn. And so he just says, yeah, that person's going to be destroyed if you don't warn them, but you bear some responsibility for not warning. See, we need spiritual leaders who are watchmen and who warn, not according to their own opinion, but they read the Bible, they see what the Bible says, and then they communicate that. Look at verse 19. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. 
Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he will die because you have not warned him. He will die for his sins, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he will surely live because he took warning and you have delivered your soul. So thinking about these pastors, there, there are these pastors that are incredibly gifted and talented, and they, they start pastoring a church, they lead a church, they're prominent, the church grows, it starts going everywhere. And so these are righteous people. They love the Lord, they're honoring God, but as they're successful, and everybody gets around them and says, you're amazing, you're so wonderful, everything you do is right. Look, you've been here for two years. We got 5,000 people here. Look at this other church, been there for 30 years. They got 100 people. You are amazing. And they just do things. And then they start becoming prideful and arrogant and abusive. And nobody says anything because this guy's successful. He's amazing. You can't say anything to him. Look what he did. He took nothing and turned it into everything. Or sometimes you'll have people that actually come alongside and they do warn. And then that leader just ignores it. They're like, I'm amazing. I'm wonderful. I built this church, not you. Get out of here. See, that happens. And then eventually God shuts that down. And when they get fired and disgraced, there's another church somewhere that's got 100 people in it that's thinking, yeah, there's all these problems with that person, but hey, guys, want to be a few thousand people? Let's hire them. I remember uh, Jim and Tammy Baker right after uh, that whole thing happened, and uh, they're, they're in the middle of all this turmoil. He finally gets fired. I was attending. I was dating somebody and, and attending this charismatic church, and they actually uh, Jim and Tammy Breaker, right after all this happens, this church invites them to the church. They were the speaker the next Sunday, right before the guy goes to jail. And they were trying to hire him as their pastor. And he said, no, I mean, it's like they, I guess they weren't good enough for him to come. But, you know, it's amazing how people will line up for, old, for, for anybody that, that is disgraced because they want success and they fail to be watchmen you know what God says? Not, not all people who struggle are heretics and, and false people. Sometimes there's genuine believers who trip up and fall. And, um, and when that happens, they can't go, yeah, um, I faithfully serve the Lord, but today I'm, I'm committing crimes. I'm doing things that are dishonest. I'm being abusive. All my good deeds from the past will make me okay. Nope, God says nope. Um, it doesn't matter what you've done. When you start rebelling against God, that will bring discipline into your life. So the job of a watchman, and by the way, this is you, and it's all elders, and all leaders, and all Sunday school teachers. You're a watchman for the unbelievers that God puts in your life. See, there's so many people who think, hey, my job is to take the gospel and to try to change it around and make it acceptable to people. Oh, man, you, you can't tell people that. Um, that Jesus is the only way. You can't tell them that. They wouldn't want that. Oh, um, living this sexually immoral life? Well, they've been living with their fiancé for like 12 years. You can't tell them God says that's wrong. They would never accept that. You know, it is not our job to figure out what would be acceptable. It's just our job to say, God, what would you say? And go tell people. That's our job. And if we faithfully do that, now how they respond is on them. Don't tell your kids not to do stuff. They'll just do it anyway. They'll want to do it even more. It is your job to tell your kids what God says. And actually, part of parenting is to try to help our kids know they need to hear these things. To, it, part of parenting is teaching kids to have the right attitude toward authority and guidance and God's word so that when we do tell them things, they will listen. But everybody just says, don't tell them. They'll only say, they'll only just disregard whatever you say. You know, the other thing is that watchmen are people, and this is important for us, watchmen are people who need to be listened to. It's interesting, sometimes kids don't listen to their parents. Guess who else doesn't listen? Parents. 
It's like other spiritual leaders step into their life, talk to parents, encourage them, challenge them, and they will have nothing to do with it. Where do kids learn some of this stuff? Well, from their parents. Sometimes you get parents who, when they're communicating with each other, they don't listen to each other. When one spouse confronts another spouse with Scripture, there's no response. There's no humble embracing of God's Word and of that. And so kids grow up in an environment where they just learn, yeah, disregard authority. Or, or somebody who goes to work and, and, and at work, these adults are rebellious toward their employers. And it's like, wow, um, I wonder how come our kids are rebellious toward me. Well, I guess I'm rebellious to all the authorities God's put in my life. You know, we need to be people who listen to God's shepherds, the people that he sends to us. You know, this is one of the things that the Bible tells us in Proverbs 29.1. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. You know, um, sometimes we confuse God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love with the fact that God's not there, that the things that God says aren't true. It's kind of like Adam and Eve, right? God says, don't eat from the tree. And Satan goes, that's not true. Eat from the tree. You're not going to die. Well, they spiritually died, and then guess what? A few hundred years later, they physically died. And sometimes we confuse God's grace and mercy. Um, Romans 2.4, don't you know that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? And sometimes we think, oh, I was warned and I disregarded it and everything's going fine in my life. Oh, that must be that none of this stuff is true and God doesn't really care and it's really not going to matter. God's grace that is exactly what it is. It's God's grace. It is God's mercy. When people deserve to be crushed, the God of the universe gives an instruction. The God who died for us and who redeemed us told us how to live life. And we just go, yeah, no thanks, God. That, you deserve to just be crushed and destroyed in that moment. But God is loving and he's gracious and he's like, no, I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you mercy. Because I love you, and I, it's not my desire to crush you. And so he's merciful and he's gracious. But you keep going down that road long enough, you got a bunch of other people coming and talk to you, and then eventually God says, all right, time's up. And then destruction happens, and then it's too late. You know, it's one of the things that God says in Amos chapter 8, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, while I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. See, that's one of the disastrous things that happens is at a certain point when, when we are unappreciative of the people who care enough about us to speak into our life, people stop speaking. That's a curse, when you just wander down the road and nobody's willing to step in and speak into your life, that is a curse. Kids who grow up in church and they have parents that are guiding them and loving them and encouraging them, and eventually they say, no, thank you. I don't want this anymore. They quit listening to their parents. They quit going to church, and they go hang out with their friends. And guess what there is not with their friends? There's no wisdom. There's none of God's word there. And so they run, and they run into the absence of God speaking to them because they fundamentally misunderstand God's grace and mercy that is meant to lead us to repentance. It's our job to warn, and it's our job to listen to warning. Here's a second point we want to look at today is that bad shepherds take advantage of people. It's important that we don't take advantage of people, and it's important that we don't pick shepherds who will take advantage of us. Ezekiel 34.1, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God. Hey, that's, when you're reading the Old Testament and it says, Thus says the Lord God, man, that should get your attention. God is talking. Um, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones 
but you do not feed the sheep. These are shepherds that serve themselves. One of the things I loved about this church when I came is uh, there was like a string of funerals that happened. I I don't love that there was a string of funerals. But a lot of times those things happen last minute and all of a sudden there's a lot of work that needs to be done and how do you get the help to get that stuff done? And so when I showed up, I was brand new here. I was kind of curious. I wonder who will be here. Do you want to know who was here setting up chairs and organizing and doing the work? It was all our elders. They all showed up. They didn't say, I'm an elder. I'm important. I don't move chairs or set up chairs. That's for someone else. No, they showed up and they set up chairs. And it's like, do people do ministry? Are they in spiritual leadership because their ego is gratified? Because they have an opportunity to be important and to be in charge of someone else. Sometimes it's money, but sometimes it's other kinds of sordid gain. They're in it for themselves. They want control. At work, nobody puts them in charge of anything. They'd like to come to church and tell some other people what to do. A lot of times you have leaders that should never be in leadership, and they live off other people. I'm here for how I can benefit from you. (laughs) I'll tell you how pervasive people that is. One time I'm at a funeral. And uh, this family just invited me to come back, and it was super inconvenient. And I, I, it was just so difficult. I'm like, ah, I really want to go back and spend some time with them because they asked me to, but I don't have time. I can't do this. And I was going, ah, all right, I'll go. So we go. And as I walk in the door, there's one person there that is familiar with church, and uh, they st- this is what they announced to the room full of unbelievers. Oh, yeah, there's a pastor because there's food. You want to find a pastor, just look around for the food. That's where the pastors are. And, And this person's perspective is that I showed up so I could get something to eat. Now, there's a lot of people invite you to hang out with them. Hey, we'll buy you dinner. We'll do. I love all that stuff. My time is worth so much more than any of those things. But there is such a habit within spiritual leadership of people who do things for themselves that a lot of times people just actually view spiritual leaders through that lens, that you're in this for what you get out of it. And you know what? We should pay attention to those types of things, and we should never have leaders who will abuse us, who will take advantage of us, who are involved in what they do for what they get. You know, the Bible says this, Luke Luke uh, 16.10, the one who's faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. The one who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. How do you find leaders? Who's humbly serving in ways that nobody sees or knows? When do people honor and serve the Lord and the only explanation from it is God sees, God knows, this person wants to please the Lord. We look for the little things in life, not the big ones. Um, who, who can help set up chairs? And there's a room full of people. I'll do it. Versus who shows up when nobody else knows and nobody's going to see. So we look for people who are faithful in little. And then we know that if they're faithful in little, they'll be faithful in much. You know, bad shepherds fail to build and protect. Look at this. Bad shepherds, they do not tenderly care for the sheep. Look at verse 4. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. With force and harshness you have ruled them. You know, it's interesting. Shepherds that are in it for themselves, they don't care when people wander away. You know, somebody's like they're a part of the church family, and next thing you know, they're living a sinful life. They've wandered away from the Lord. Nobody talks to those people. Nobody even knows they're gone. And um, shepherds that God intends is that they would go and that they would find those people, that they would speak to them, that they would say, what are you doing? God loves you. You claim to be a Christian, and yet you're going to do these things. How could you be a Christian and do this? Something as simple as um, you say you're a Christian, you honor the Lord, you haven't been in church in six months. What's going on? Are you okay? And where's the body of Christ and where are the leaders that are knowing and looking around and saying, where are you? God intends for leaders to go find people that are struggling and talking to them. 
if you have major sin issues in your life and nobody's talking to you about it, it's because they don't love you. It's not people that are not minding their own business. I just got to tell you, the last thing I ever want to do is go talk to somebody struggling in sin. I don't want to do that. Usually, it's a very unpleasant experience. And, um, but you know what? That's what God calls us to do. Go find people that are wandering. When somebody's struggling with sin, they just have pain in their life because they just continually disregard God. Who's going to go up to them and say, hey, you're suffering, but you do this, which God said not to do. You do this, which God said not to do. You do this, which God said not to do, and you're suffering. That's not a surprise. Instead, we have a bunch of shepherds who go, yeah, hey, man, your marriage is terrible. Uh, you should have never married that person. Okay, they haven't been unfaithful. Uh, there's no biblical reason for divorce. But you know what? Get out. That's a mess. Start over somewhere else. Try to, try to do a better job later. And you get spiritual shepherds who say things like that to people or who are unwilling to address sin issues. No, faithful shepherds, that's, that's what bad shepherds do. They're in it for what they get, and they're not willing to suffer by stepping into a person's life and addressing things. And by the way, that causes harm. Um, I, I, um, I'll read this next verse, verse 5. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep, my sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountain on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Um, I remember one time there was this uh, couple and their kid was getting married. And so the parents came to me and they were just saying, man, this is a big mistake. This per- th- my, my kid should not be marrying this person. And they were really distressed about it. And I said, well, okay, have you taken a hard stand in their life? Have you f- said you won't pay for the wedding? Have you, have you said, I'm going to do, do everything possible to stop this from happening? And they said, no, heck, I can't do that. If I, don't, if I do that, they'll never speak to me again. I'll never, I'll never see my grandkids. And I just said, well, first of all, if it's not that serious, then just get behind it and support them. Like, you don't pick who your kid marries. Um, they get to pick who they marry. This isn't about you going around, how do I live my life through my kids? So if it's an insignificant thing then get behind it and support them and love them. But if it's actually, you think it's actually going to destroy your kids, you should care enough about them to speak to them and to take a stand against it. And if it costs you, it costs you. Because that's what good shepherding does. We don't just stand around and watch people walk off a cliff. And there are tons of people who in the way that they shepherd They don't ever address sin. They don't ever get in there and try to help. And they don't do things because they're not willing to pay the personal price. Well, we want shepherds who love people enough to step into their life and do the right thing. Not people who are micromanaging or trying to live other people's lives for them, but people who care enough to take a stand when someone needs it. And, um, but these shepherds, they don't do that. Look at verse 7, and this is our fourth point. All shepherds will give an account to God for their shepherding. Therefore, this is what God says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey, my sheep have become food, and all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Okay, God's going to say something to these shepherds. Um, look at verse 9. This is like powerful. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding on the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. They will not be food for them. You know, God just says, uh, you want to get paid back? You're going to get justice. I'm coming after you. I'm taking away what you have. Um, That is a sobering warning for everybody in a position of shepherding. Do a good job with what you have, or God may take it away, and he may discipline you for that. 
Number five, this is the great encouragement. God is always a good shepherd. Look at what it says in verse 11. It says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will will, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when, he, when, when he is, the sheep have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 16 says, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them justice. God says, I'll take care of the sheep. And all those abusive shepherds, um, those abusive shepherds, I will give them justice. You know, this is a huge accountability. When, when we nominate somebody for a position of eldership or leadership, when we, when we put somebody as a Sunday school teacher, when we say, hey, lead this ministry, this is what we're, this is what we're doing. You know, James 3.1 that says, let not many of you become teachers, for in doing so, you will incur a stricter judgment. You know, this is something we should desire to do, we should aspire to, but it's something that we should approach with reverence. And do you want to know there's something that helps us not be critical and unkind of church leaders? And that is when you realize you're a shepherd. And when you see one of your shepherds doing something they shouldn't do and having a bad attitude or, or maybe they have a, a temper, they fail to care for somebody, and then you take a step back and go, okay, How'd I do with my kids? Did I ever talk to them in a way that was inappropriate? Did I always go after them the way I was supposed to go after them? How am I doing in my Bible study? I lead a Bible study with a group of people. Am I lovingly, encouragingly involved in their life the way God tells me to? Oh, well, maybe I should work on me before I be too critical of my leaders. Maybe I should pray that God will help me do what I'm supposed to do. And along with that, I'm going to pray that my leaders will be the people that God wants them to be. See, we're a church family, we should all be humble, and we should want to influence people and have opportunities to, to be leaders and shepherds, but we should approach that with reverence. So this is a great accountability for all of us, and the good news is when we fall short, God loves us, he forgives us, he's gracious to us, God will pick up where we failed, and uh, that is an encouraging, wonderful thing. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are a good shepherd, that you love us, that you lay down your life for us. Lord, you don't run away when the job's hard. Uh, You discipline us when other people don't. Uh, You come after us. You restore us. Lord, help us to be a church family that takes leadership seriously. But in the midst of that is gracious and humble and encouraging and kind. And, Lord, that we are kind to our leaders, that we build them up, that we are thankful for those people who are willing to step up and do the hard things. Lord, that we esteem and value their work because we know that we need it. Lord, help us to be people that appreciate and encourage the leadership that we are given, knowing ultimately that it comes from you. And, God, help us to be people that respond well when you speak to us directly through your word or through those faithful people that you've put around us. Lord, we ask for your blessing and kindness in our life, and certainly we need it in your name. Amen.